confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What is up, everybody? It is Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Benzinga Live. Hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. Um, We'll get to that in the chat. I have some questions about your Thanksgiving, aside from just what your favorite food was, um, what your favorite side was. We'll we'll get into that in a little bit. I just wanted to start the show off, of course, with the biggest headline of the day so far is that Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is stepping down. Um, We can see the how the stock is reacting. Um, Let me see real quick. So, so we went up initially off the news. First of all, here, let me go on, on a shorter time frame so we can see really what's been going on intraday. Uh, so we opened about 9% higher this morning, Twitter did. Um, and then we had a, a little sell-off. And then we spiked back up about 5% and now selling off again. So it looks like uh, investors are a little unsure of what they, of what they think about you know, what this means for the company going forward. I think it could be bullish long term because Twitter, of course, for the past 10 years or so, has had one of the biggest user bases out of all the social media platforms. Of course, Facebook was the biggest about 10 years ago. Um, And then Twitter, you know, has been growing, but the stock hasn't really done much. Right. If we go look at, say, I don't know, a, a weekly, a weekly chart, we can see that, you know, going back to 20. 15 March 20 April 2015 the stock was at $52 now it's at $46. Uh, of course we did have this big run up all the way to 80 but that was aided a lot by the the COVID-19 pandemic when people didn't really have a lot going on they didn't have anything to do but uh to be on Twitter. So you know that for for how popular Twitter is as an app and a social service and how really important Twitter is to the way that we consume media whether it's news, um, political opinions, whatever it is, Twitter has ingrained itself to become essentially part of the public discourse in the United States. Um, And so for the stock to be such a, uh, you know, kind of laggard compared to other competitors in the industry, whether you're looking at Facebook, um, Snapchat is kind of like Twitter where Snapchat really hasn't done that well. So there are a few social media stocks, I guess, that, that are like Twitter that really haven't done that well. But Maybe for investors that have been holding on to Twitter for a long time, this is the sign that, hey, look, things are going to change. Maybe there's a little bit more pain in the beginning while they're figuring this out. But in the long run, maybe this is bullish for Twitter. I don't know. I hold a couple of shares of Twitter, full disclosure. 
Um, but that's my thesis on it is just that I don't think the users are going anywhere on Twitter. And I think eventually the company will figure out, okay, how can we monetize this better than uh, we have been? How can we make more money off of our, our ridiculous monthly average users? Um, and kind of the same thing with Snapchat. I, I have the same, pretty much the same thesis there with Snapchat that eventually, right, um, the money will start going in. Right now, they have the market share. They have the users. Uh, they need the money. They need the revenue. Other headlines, I've been watching NVIDIA today. If you watch this show, you know this is 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 one of my favorite stocks. Again, disclosure, I do hold this stock. Um, NVIDIA breaking out m- up more than 4% on the day. The stock got hit last Friday when the markets opened after Thanksgiving, of course, with the um, Omicron fears for this new COVID variant. Uh, but so, so essentially a timeline, here's what you need to know about uh, Omicron and the markets is the timeline is last week, kind of right around Thanksgiving, maybe the day before on Wednesday is when the first headlines really started sweeping around the world about this. Um, not originated in South, uh, South Africa, but that's where it was found. Um, that's where it was discovered by scientists. And the markets reacted on Friday pretty, uh, you know, adversely. Like the markets were had one of their worst days in over a year. People were scared about this new variant. Um, and then over the weekend, what happened as what often does is, is people realize, okay, maybe we overreacted a little bit. Um, some of the data coming out about this variant is that it might not be quite as dangerous as some initially reported. It might spread faster, but then the symptoms aren't as severe as as once thought. So a lot of these gross stocks that got hit on Friday are coming back today. Um, some of the companies that are still down today off this new variant are the airlines. So if you look at American Airlines, if you look at Southwest, right? Um, because the, these are the companies that are going to get hit the most if travel is hit even a little bit by this variant, right? Even if we're talking about, okay, this sets back the the full recovery that we've all been waiting for by, I don't know, two, two months, three months, you know, even if it's not that big of an overall impact, it will be for the airlines. Um, I don't know though. I flew ho- uh, back and forth from Detroit and St. Louis for Thanksgiving um, and the airports were packed. Uh, you know, everyone was saying you got to you got to show up early to to get through airport security. I will say, though, right, this was maybe a case where I bought into to the media overhype maybe too much. I showed up like an hour earlier than I normally would for my flight back here to Detroit. Um, first of all, my flight got delayed again once I was there. So it, it took a little bit longer, um, you know, to, to board and everything. So I was I was thankful that I had more time, but security wasn't even that, um, that backed up, like everyone was saying. So I showed up an hour early, essentially for no reason, because again, um, the, uh, the flight got pushed back anyway. So right now these airlines, if they keep going down, they will become interesting to me. I mean, we've, we saw Southwest right on the onset of the pandemic, get all the way down to about 20 bucks a share, come all the way back up to 65. So it's currently $20 off of its highs from back in April. Back from about seven months ago, uh, the stock has depreciated about 33%. So I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, look, Southwest Airlines is not worth 33% less than it was seven months ago. So why is the stock trading down so much? Uh, you could argue it's just technicals. You could argue the the um, 
travel hasn't picked up to pre-pandemic levels like yet that a lot of people have expected. Um, but looks like we're getting down to this key support right here at about $44, $43. So I would wait to see if we bounce off this support. If we see a couple green candles in a row, again, this is the daily chart. Um, then that would be a sign of reversal for me saying, okay, look, we've gotten beaten down to this point. Now we're coming back up and on that reversal, I'm not going to try to fish the bottom. I don't need to try to catch the exact moment or day that it hits that bottom. I'd rather wait till it starts coming back up and I have that trend at my back. Uh, and then I can buy it and try to swing it back up to maybe $52 or even this, this $56 price point. So I'm definitely watching the airlines. Of course, we will have to keep uh, this new COVID variant, you know, see how it's reacting in the news. But um, yeah, these airlines are getting beaten down. Another set of companies are the cruise lines. Um, if we look at Carnival, you know, a lot of these stocks have never gotten back to their pre-COVID levels. Any other industry has stocks in it that has gotten back to pre-pandemic levels. But if we look at the cruise lines, it's really interesting because look at Carnival. I mean, trading all the way up at $50 currently at 17. So I I get it. There are other investment opportunities out there that might be catching investors' eyes more than, than the cruise lines. Um, but to me, this has a, a lot of work to, to get back up to here. And so, again, just like the airlines, these are the companies that are going to get hard hit, hit hardest by the uh, new COVID variant fears. Um, but I don't know. Let me know in the chat if you know why you think that that cruise lines haven't even gotten close to coming back up to their pre-pandemic levels. Obviously, they're making a lot less money. Um, but but I think a lot of investors that have been buying these shares are thinking, okay, maybe not in the next year, this will be back at $50. Maybe not even the next two years, but five years down the line, uh, they expect these stocks to come back. You can see that even before the pandemic, the stock was in a massive downtrend going from 72 all the way down to 50. I don't know, not to sound too morbid, but maybe part of the arguments to be made, hey, look, COVID has, uh, you know, a lot of older people have passed away from COVID. That's Carnival Cruise, that's Cruise Line's main demographic. Maybe there's going to be less people out there that really want to take cruises. I have no clue. Uh, Easy Mike saying Airbnb looks good. Again, that's another company that that uh, got hit hard last Friday by the uh, new variant news. Omicron. I, I think I'm saying that right. Honestly, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Airbnb, let's go in a little bit of a shorter time frame. Oh yeah, look at that. That's beautiful. This is one of those stocks. There's there's a few stocks out there that I think that really can be, you know, five, 10 baggers over the next 10 years. And I think Airbnb is one of them. I mean, the stocks, um, it's been really volatile since it, it, it's open. Let's see if we go back uh, you, you know, back here in September, but was that right? I thought we were earlier than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if, whoa, what's going on now? I would not be surprised if we're looking at Airbnb in, in you know, five years and it's five times, you know, five times the share price that it is now. Yeah. I guess it really was just only, oh, back there in December. Yeah. So yeah, it's been around for about a year. Um, been very volatile, right? We saw it get all the way up to about $220, come all the way back down to 120. I don't know what I was thinking that I didn't add shares of this here. Um, again, get back up above the $200 level, and then we crash back down to about 160. Now we're right here at 178. I like this stock a lot. Uh, Long term, easy, Mike. Let me know how you are uh, are trading it. 
What's up, Freddie P in the chat? Uh, Shelly, no, I don't have any call here. I'll pull up my Robinhood portfolio for everyone. I have one open call right now on Snapchat. Uh, the monthlies on December 17th and they're down about 50% right now. So I, I, if I, if I, if I, uh, see that the uh, Snapchat's not moving the way I want it to tomorrow. I'll probably cut those losses altogether. But as you can see, you know, I even pulled more money out of my Robinhood. Um, I do have about $800 worth of buying power, so I can make some trades, but I cannot make any more day trades. I'm officially restricted from day trades for 90 days. So any trades I will be making will be, you know, at least the next day. Like maybe I'll open some options right around close and, and then sell them the next morning at open. I can do stuff like that. I can't buy and sell in the same day right now. But yeah, as you can see, these Snapchat calls have not been going my way. Um, you know, I bought them, I think about up here for like 190, 190 a contract. I only have two, so it's not like a huge position or anything. Um, but my thesis is just that, uh, you know, we saw this huge gap down after earnings, right, from 76 uh, and, and it looked like last week for a little bit, we were, we were finding the first signs of reversal finally, cause we moved all the way down here to about 55, continued to move down to even close to $45, uh, started to move back up a tad, but it hasn't really been working out. So again, if Snapchat's down again tomorrow, I'm just going to cut my losses, say, Hey, look, Snapchat's still in a downtrend. These, uh, calls that expire on the 17th are not working for me. Um, you said last week Ben Zing is doing a, a, a fundraiser. Yeah, we might. We might. All right. Let me know in the chat what you guys are looking at. I'll pull it up on Benzinga Pro. We'll, we'll get a look at the chart. We'll see if any, any news is moving the stock. Um, but going back to Thanksgiving, here's what I want to know. I want to know, A, did finance, investing, stocks come up in any capacity at your Thanksgiving? And did crypto specifically? So let me know in the chat. Yes, you know, my parents were talking about stocks. They were talking about investing. Um, and, and let me know too, yes, crypto came up. You know, my my brother, my sister, you know, people at Thanksgiving were talking about Dogecoin, whatever it is. I want to know how uh, finance in general, how the markets came up at Thanksgiving and, and particularly uh, with crypto. I'm curious about what the conversations were like surrounding cryptocurrency if neither came up, that's fine. If not, if neither investing or crypto came up in general at your Thanksgiving, um, let me know what was the most, uh, maybe not your favorite topic that came up, but maybe like the most controversial, right? Did your did your parent or did your family start talking about uh, politics or, or Kyle Rittenhouse or anything? Because I tried to steer the conversation very clear of all that at our Thanksgiving. We did talk about crypto. We did talk about financial markets and, and stocks and everything. Um, let's see. I'm seeing Lucian saying he's looking at MP. Let's take a look at MP. Ow. Materials having a good day up four and a half percent today. Uh, NVIDIA sympathy. Yeah. NVIDIA sympathy run. Uh, we also have Qualcomm is moving a lot today. I always forget the ticker for Qualcomm. So I sh that shouldn't be that hard. C C Q C O M. Uh, yeah, Qualcomm is up basically the same as NVIDIA, but NVIDIA right now is up more than AMD, up more than Micron. So it's showing relative strength at, against at least some of its competitors in the industry. Uh, and, and really, that's just showing me that, hey, for whatever reason, investors are more confident in 
uh, in NVIDIA right now than some of its competitors. Jay Rice saying, is Wall Street no like Twitter new CEO, I'd say? Um, yeah, Jay Rice, I can get behind that uh, sentiment because we, we can see when we're looking at the chart that initially Twitter was moving up, then it came down when the new CEO was announced. Now it's coming back up. So I think just let's give Mr. Market time for for him or her to figure out how he feels about the new Twitter CEO. The stock could be trading 10% higher in a, in a month from now. It could be trading 10% lower. Who knows? Although, Jay Rice, you are right. The immediate uh, um, you know, reaction, it seems to be, is, is kind of bearish for Twitter. Um, let's see what we got in the chat. Igor saying, yes, crypto came up over Thanksgiving. No one else. No one else had Bitcoin or crypto come up at their Thanksgiving. Uh, happy, my boy, happy. How's it going? Everyone, listen to happy. Smash the like if you've got time. It only takes a second and it is 100% free, completely free. Um, P. Diesel, P. Diesel, I don't know how you say that, wants to look at KTTA. Um, of course, this is a stock that we broke the news on last week. Stock ran all the way up to what's the high there? Eight fifty. Now back at five dollars. Before we broke the news last week, the stock was trading about three dollars. I don't know. I'm always on the side that like, look, if you want to try to trade these high flyer biotech names, by all means, more power to you. Just know it's akin to to go into the casino. It's very. Like you might as well be be shooting crabs, playing roulette at that point, unless you have some sort of edge. I certainly do not because I don't half the time. I don't understand, uh, you know, the science behind what's going on with what a biotech company is doing. Uh, that's not to say you can't, you know, go out and make a lot of money trading these things. It's just a little harder for me, you know, with some of these growth tech stocks, fintech stocks value stocks i feel like okay i can kind of feel that the, th the thesis of what's going on with other investors i have a gauge of where i think the stock is going how markets are looking with biotech i'm completely out of the loop you know if someone tells if someone gives me the pitch on a biotech company it always sounds good to me that's my problem so i'm like oh that drug sounds really really cool uh that sounds very promising and I'll, i'd probably invest in every single biotech company i'd hear about and end up losing a lot of money right easy mike saying trade what you see um, that's that's good advice there. So again, let me know what everyone's trading today. Let me know what you're looking at. Um, we, we've talked about Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey stepping down. They announced their new CEO. We talked about the, the Omicron, the new COVID fears. Uh, I, it, look, look, bottom line here, let's pull up the spy. We, we can see very clearly, right? Uh, these are daily charts. We can see very clearly the initial reaction. So November 24th, this was last Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. SPY closes um, at, at $469 a share, right about. The, the next day, the market's open, closed for Thanksgiving, Friday. So, so again, that's kind of how the, the way the week was set up last week wasn't great because Thursday, the market wasn't open and Thursday allowed for all like the news and headlines to spread about Omicron again on Friday. Um, market opened at 462, never really got much ab above that open price. The high of the day was 463.90. Uh, the low of the day was 457.77, closed at 458.97. 
So we went from a 469 close to a, a 458. So about $11 difference. That was the spy's biggest red day in, in, in more than a year, I'm pretty sure. And, and so the market's initial reaction to these Omicron fears were, you, you know, this is terrible, big sell-off. We saw Moderna up 20%. We saw Zoom up 10%. All these COVID plays that we had saw running last year throughout COVID were up big last Friday while the, while while most of the stocks were down. Uh, and then today, it, it's the tail of two tapes, right? The market's up. It's green. Everything looks good. Uh, so to me, that's saying, look, the the initial fears were overblown. Uh, you know, if you look at the headlines today, it, it looks like the media still wants to make this something that, hey, everyone should be worried about. Um, but the markets are saying, no, this isn't as a as big of a deal as everyone thought last Friday. People overreacted, presented good buying opportunities. Um, oh, easy Mike saying, saying Powell's talking soon. So yeah, we'll, we'll watch out for that. Um, yeah, I'm seeing Roblox in the chat. Roblox was running last week. Let's check in. I haven't checked it out today. Oh my God. Up again. Um, yeah, I mean, this stock's just on a monster tear. Look at this. We go back to the beginning of the month. It was trading at 80 bucks. It's at 124 right now. So that's up what? 50% in a month. I mean, that's just insane. Uh, we're seeing it. Oh my God. All right. We got to check back in on NVIDIA. I'm seeing it in the chat, which means, oh my God, we're breaking out. Even Speaking of a stock that's up 50% over the last month, look at this thing. Hold on. Look at this thing. I mean, this is a crazy run, right? From COVID all the way up here. But look at this run. Oh my God. Look what happens from, from the beginning of October. I'm talking right here. We were at, we closed at 204. We're at 330 right now. The stock has run $130 in two months. More than 50% run in two months. And NVIDIA, this isn't a small stock. This isn't a penny stock. This isn't even a mid-cap stock. This is a mega-cap stock, almost a trillion-dollar company, running more than $100 in two months. You could have looked at it right here, right, at 242 and said, Oh no, this stock has already run up 20% in a month. It, it, it's it's overextended. It's oversold, right? We we have to short it. It, it can't go. And then it runs another $80. I mean, I it doesn't this stock is an absolute monster. Again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This may be like my favorite stock, not only right now, but of all time. I've I've been on Nvidia for if I would have just parked a lot of my money in Nvidia like a while ago, I would have made so much money, but I've been talking about it for years now never really i should have backed it up with more of my money but i i do have shares in my ira up well over a hundred percent now i you know got them pre-split at like uh i want to say four hundred dollars pre-split so then now i have you know it, it was a good trade let's just say that but i don't plan on ever touching that in my ira even if even if you could make the argument that i should uh, you know, trim some that I'm up so much in my IRA that I should I should trim some, put it in other stuff. But I just love this stock too much. I think any type of transformative technology that you can think about, you know, that we're gonna see in the next 10, 20, 30 years, whether it's AI, self-driving, which kind of goes hand in hand with AI, robotics, gaming, cryptocurrency. NVIDIA is going to have its hands in all of it. Not only have its hands, but be like the leader, the, the technology behind it, the thing behind the thing, everything. So 
you, you know, will other competitors catch up technology wise to NVIDIA? Maybe. I, I don't know. Who knows? But all I know is right now it's clear who has the edge in this space. It's clear it's NVIDIA. It's clear investors think so. Um, so we'll be watching this all week again. Sure. Could you make the argument that it, that it's overextended right now? It's overbought. It's going to come back down a few dollars. Sure. Do I think this stock is going to be higher than it is today, a year from now? Yes. Do I think it's going to be higher, uh, 10 years from now than it is today? Yes. A hundred percent. So, uh, th th those are my takes on Nvidia again, disclosure. I am a shareholder. Uh, another disclosure. This is not investment advice, purely entertainment and educational purposes only. Uh, but yeah, just in case you're curious, uh, my thoughts on NVIDIA, I, I love it. I love it like a fat kid love cake. All right. Any Anything else we're watching today? Again, yeah, people. the dollar scramble is saying the dollar is overvalued, all the printing's going on. Look, bottom line is careful with some of these big growth tech stock names, uh, NVIDIA included, because as if we see that 10-year bond yield uh, hike up, you know, these growth stocks do get hit the hardest. Uh, honestly, let, let me check the, I don't even know if we have the bond yield on here. Um, cause, cause so last Friday when we saw the Omicron fears hit the market, we saw the 10 year bond yield drop, uh, I think down to about like 1.5 when it was at about 1.8 higher. So really that if we, if we see those, um, let me try to find a chart of that 10 year bond yield. Uh, if if we see that stay there, that's very good for a lot of these growth stock tech names. If we see it start hiking back up, that then we could see. So we see it up barely today, right? All right, so I'll pull up. Um, if if we see it, if we see that bond yield come back up more than it is today, we could see some of those growth growth tech stocks get hit by that. But again, all right, I'm looking at it right now. So it was at one point six five. Um, last week, then dropped all the way down to below 1.5. Now we're back up 1.5 barely. Uh, so yeah, it's something to keep an eye on just if you're trading a lot of these growth tech stock names. Uh, thank you, Easy Mike. And, and yeah, so of course, if we see if we see Fed raise rates, then these these growth stocks will get hit again. So just be careful with them. But right now, uh, everything looks good. We'll see. We we can we can do this by checking. If you're ever curious just about the strength in tech uh, and growth stocks versus the overall market, just check QQQ versus SPY, right? QQQ is up 2% today. SPY is up 1.3, right? So that's showing me that big investors out there are not worried about the bond yield. They're not worried about Fed hiking up interest rates right now. Um, they, they just like growth more than, more than everything else today, right? We can check that on the Dow too, Dow industrial average, right? Dow's underperforming spy. Um, so yeah, let me know again, what you're, what you're walking in the, Oh, BlackRock. Which one is the, is it BCX? Is that the one we want to check out? No. What are you, what are you talking about? Easy Mike. Easy Mike saying it's up $18. Maybe he's talking about Blackstone, BX. Ooh, Blackstone's having a good day, though. This, If you were watching us when we had Ross Gerber on a couple weeks ago, he was talking about Blackstone, which to me, hearing him talk about Blackstone really uh, perked up my ears because Gerber's famously a big 
like growth tech investor, right? He's in NVIDIA, he's in Tesla, he's in Roblox, he's in all these tech names. But his pitch on Blackstone was very good, and I liked it. And I like anytime someone has conviction in something that's outside of their wheelhouse, right? Like if I'm trading, I don't know, tech stocks all the time, and I'm like, oh, I've got this value name that I really like, though, and I have a strong thesis to back it up. I almost think that I, I like it more than someone who's than someone who's talking about a company of, of something they trade all the time, right? Um, oh, BLK. Yeah, sorry, I'm. This is why I need my. This is why I need Spencer here, right? Wow, yeah, BlackRock up twenty dollars right now, up two point two four percent. Looking at the chart, this does look like we had this little like double top action going on. So I'd watch it uh, for, for the rest of this week. If we see a couple more green days in a row following today, right? If we have another green day tomorrow, another green day on Wednesday, okay, that's a sign to me that we're getting a reversal. We're bouncing off this level where we have previous resistance right here at about uh, $900, um, right? You can go back right here, see this point. Um, but overall, a lot of times this double top, when you see two tops like this, it, it's a sign that the stock's going to come back down, right? I'm not necessarily like, okay, I'm in, I, I follow technicals like the Bible. No, that's not how I trade. I, I don't think anyone really um, should do that. There are people out there that, don't care about the fundamentals, don't even care what a company does. They just look at the chart and trade it based off the chart. I like to to take in both, right? I like to look at the chart. I, I like to see what's going on with the company, what they're doing, how does the current economic outlook impact what the company's doing, et cetera. Um, so, so if I like the fundamentals of a company, if I think the thesis is bullish and the chart looks good, then I'm in. If I love the company, I think the thesis is good, but the chart doesn't look good to me, then maybe I just put it on my watch list and I wait. I, I, I you know, I wait for it to come down further because I don't think the chart looks good. So I would just watch this because this double top to me um, doesn't look great. But like I said, a couple more green candles in a row, then we're not talking about a downtrend. We're talking about an uptrend. So I, I would just watch it this week. Of course, BlackRock is an absolute monster. I mean, let's check the market cap on this thing. Yeah, 136 billion. I think it, it BlackRock holds the uh, most assets under management out of any financial institute quebec yep matt hammond is in the in the waiting room he will be joining us in about three minutes we'll be talking some ipos this week excited to get matt back on um yeah jay jay brings up a good point it's almost a risk off for value day steel banks everything all down um yeah checking on boeing well, the Boeing, so I, I get why Boeing's down a little bit. And you can see, because we're looking at like an intraday chart here. Um, we came, we crashed down pretty hard. Got to like 195. I'm going to pull this out on a daily chart. Um, I, I think that the, right, the, the thesis behind why Boeing's down right now is because if travel demand goes down, there's less demand for these planes from uh, different airline companies. So I think we all just have to kind of like wait and see what goes on with this Omicron virus. I don't think it's going to end up being that big of a deal. Of course, hey, a lot of people said that about COVID in the first place. But from initial reports of what we're seeing is that like, it's kind of like, hey, look, this might spread quicker, but it doesn't look like symptoms are that serious. Uh, who knows? I look, I, I think the market speaks for itself, right? I think if this was really 
like the new Armageddon, like the new, oh my God, we're going back into lockdown, everything that markets would not, that markets would not be up the way they are right now. Um, that's just my feeling. Of course, there are industries that are going to get hit harder um, than others. Let's look at, I mean, look, even Darden, even, even Darden restaurants is, is up today, right? Uh, if this was really something that was going to cause people to not be able to go back into restaurants, I don't think Darden would be up 1.3% today. Um, so, so yeah, let's just take, take a chill pill. Everyone talking about Omicron. Oh my God. Look at Apple. Woo. Apple up two and a half percent today. Um, after Matt Hammond, we will talk about, uh, the Santa Claus rally, right? Which stocks will benefit from the holiday season? Apple very well could be one of those, uh, which stocks may not benefit from the holiday season when they're expected to, there have been some retail names that have just been so, so strong over this past year that I'm not sure if we can continue that same momentum into uh, the holiday this year. I mean, let's take a look. So I'm going to look, I'm looking at Dillard's right now. Dillard's on November 27th last year closed at $49.68, right? This is why I think this is crazy because we had already had Right, we had shoppers back on Black Friday. It wasn't like everything was was locked down. Were we back to pre-COVID numbers? No, not at all. But at that point, the writing was on the wall that, like, hey, look, people are shopping in stores. They are buying nice clothes right now. Whatever it is, we closed at forty forty nine dollars and sixty eight cents a year ago today. Now the stock is at three hundred and forty one dollars. And mind you, this is a stock that got all the way up to four to three ninety five. We got all the way up to th- or no, sorry, four sixteen. So we're actually trading down at three forty one, about seventy bucks from its highs. Um, so there's a lot of stocks that we're looking at this holiday season, right? We have Dillard's, we have Apple. Let me know in the in the uh, chat which stocks you'll be looking at this holiday season. Of course, we'll, we'll need some. We have some preliminary numbers from Black Friday, but we'll need some more time before we get to. Uh, really see which companies did well this this Black Friday. All right. Without further ado, going to bring my man Matt Hammond on from IPO Warriors. We'll be talking about some IPOs this week. Uh, let us know in the chat if you have any questions about any specific IPOs. I know Matt's got his little presentation queued up. So without further ado, let's welcome on Matt Hammond. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Not too bad. How you doing, Producer AB? Good. Did you have a good holiday? I was pretty good. You know, I'm out here in Ukraine, so um, my wife put together a nice uh, Thanksgiving feast, I guess. Uh, she single-handedly, with a little bit of my help, cooked a turkey in the oven, made cranberry sauce from scratch. We had mashed potatoes. Um, you know, felt like uh, felt like home. So Beautiful. Yeah, I was curious if you, do the tr- if you do the traditional you know, U.S. Thanksgiving, or if you do something a little different since you're out there in the Ukraine? Oh, there is no other Thanksgiving than the U.S. one. But uh, yeah, we did <laughs> do something, which was <laughs> we, we, we had to trek across town. We had reserved a turkey in advance, um, brought it home, cooked it up, had a pretty good time with it. And, uh, you know, um, my daughter's year and a half old now, so too early for her to remember this, but sort of trying to get that sense of tradition instilled early 
and Thanksgivings are always a uh, you know great memory from my childhood, and uh, we're trying to trying to do the same thing for our for our kids. So we did not talk uh, crypto at the at the dinner table this year. Um, actually, just other than playing a few minor, you know, the Bitcoin mining stocks, I have not really delved into crypto. I fully understand the technology behind it. I just don't uh, have the same insights that I have into it that I do. Uh, with the stock market, uh, specifically with IPOs, which I was watching Mitch's show earlier today. He's really talking about what it takes to become, you know, like a professional trader. And I'm not a professional trader, but I do make a lot more money uh, trading stocks than I do from kind of my normal job as a software designer, software architect, and have certainly considered that idea of moving into it. But he said, you know, you got to figure out what you do well. What is your niche? What are what are your strong suits? And then kind of focus on that and keep a history of what of your trades and recognize where, you know, we'd all be, you know, love to do everything really great. But um, truth is, I'm not a great day trader. Uh, swing trading, I, you know, have done well when the market's doing well, and that'll lull you into a kind of false sense of confidence. And then when the market pulls back, you realize, hmm, you know, I was buying dips that weren't dips and names that I didn't really believe in. And, you know, actually, if I just stayed in what I was good at, uh, my returns, you know, would be even stronger. So for me, it's IPO trading, it's back trading, it's focusing on those things. And, um, you know, to your note about biotechs, like I feel exactly the same way, especially with biotech IPOs. And I pretty much crossed them off the list of even trying to understand because everything, you know, is going to cure cancer or uh, make the world a better place for, you know, make reduce pain and solve Alzheimer's. I mean, every single drug sounds like, oh, wow, well, it sounds good. Like I should play that. Right. Um, that was, yeah. You know, having said that, IINN turned out to be one of my biggest wins this year, but I was just so convinced that eventually that would run. And I piled up a huge position buying on the dip. And then one little headline sent it to the moon. And I still think it's one of these. Which one was that? It's Inspira Technologies. It's I-I-N-N. Oh, and right. Yeah, that was a high. Yeah. So that's a low float. There's still a lot of catalysts on the, on the road ahead for them. And the market right now, I mean, we don't know what it'll do later. But recently, these kind of low flow IPOs in the last year, I'm talking, I mean, it really was last week and the week before, I guess, KTTA, ISPC, uh, APBO. Um, you know, there's this kind of basket of recent low flow IPOs that uh, have just been high flyers. But if you bought the IPO, you'd have been bag holding for a long time in a pretty ugly position until these pops came. And unless you're super convinced in them and you're kind of buying that dip, I bought the dip on IANN to the tune of about 17,000 shares. I had a much bigger position than I ever meant to take, but it kept dipping and I believed in it so firmly uh, that I, yeah, when it did rip, I made a kind of that level up trade that brings your portfolio into the, you know, up into another, um, into another level. But especially since this week, we don't have a whole lot on the schedule, but we do have some low float IPOs that are biotech. I did want to touch on those. And one thing I really wanted to point out is that, um, first of all, you don't know when that run is going to come. 
And second of all, when that run comes, you have to be aware of that follow-up offering. You know, they started their IPO with the almost token amount of money to just get them through to the next phase of their trial. And then when they release that headline, that next headline, they already know in advance, hey, we're reaching this milestone that we were hoping to get to from with the last batch of money that we had from the IPO. And they're fully intending to raise more money. And while KTTA, I mean, it hasn't come back. It was at like eight or nine. And then they dropped the news of the follow-up offering. And it has come back a little bit from there. But it's down at, you know, between four and five dollars. And it's kind of playing on pure momentum right now. Those shares are going to come to the market. And this is probably going to get forgotten about for a while until the next, uh, you know, the next stage of um, FDA approvals or uh, the next research gets released. That can be a really long time, and it's a very binary event. You know, they can get a bad letter from the from the FDA, and all of a sudden the shares just tank again, even deeper, and you're sitting there in a bag that you know could take forever to turn around. So really be aware of that when you're playing these recent low float IPOs. They're low float today. They literally could not be tomorrow. BFRI, I was watching it this morning. It's flying up around 10. And then they do a share offering. It dropped all of a sudden to like mid sixes. And then it's recovered. I mean, those shares that are part of the offering have not recovered. So they're technically still only a low float trading on the, you know, on the market. Um, but the market reacted right away. Day traders are kind of buoying this up. But be really careful trying to play these at this point, and if you are in a low float IPO, you know, especially a biotech IPO early, and you get that rip that you were expecting, that you were hoping for, that you were waiting on, don't be holding for like three or four days without understanding that there's very likely going to be a follow-up offering because that's what these companies are in the stock market for. They're not in the stock market um, to make you money. They're in the stock market to raise money for their company, and biotechs are raising money to get to the next round of funding to raise more money at that point. And that dilution is going to have a significant impact on the share price, especially when something is inflated based on this kind of momentum, meme uh, volume and, and price jumps that we're seeing. Uh, and the market itself is very, has a very short attention span right now. This is, I remember at the beginning of COVID, everybody started piling into stocks. We'd see runs in like, remember Genus and X, X Spa. Um, which I didn't get involved in. They didn't make any sense to me. But this momentum, those momentum plays were lasting for like a week, week and a half. And we're not really seeing that so much anymore. We're seeing a lot of, especially the DSPAC mergers. It's like one day. Uh, we saw Weijo, which was Boso. Uh, Boso ripped from like 10 to 19, and now it's at 7. So if you're playing these kind of ladder up moves, be light on your feet. Don't get too greedy. And especially with the low float IPOs, just, you know, be aware of that follow-up offering because I think a lot of traders, especially if you're a new trader and you're playing kind of these meme hypes stocks, you're not used to that. You're not used to seeing that. All of a sudden, it's just one big red candle, you know, wipes out 40% of the share price. And you're like, what the hell happened? By the time you've looked it up on uh, Twitter or Google News or Benzinga Pro uh, to figure out what, you know, what just happened. Um you know, you've already lost your trade and now you're potentially in a bag hole or praying for a bailout. But um, let's let's jump into the IPOs this week. Anyway, uh, the fundraising campaign, the uh, Benzinga gear that they sent out is on the way uh, out to Ukraine, along with a few other things that um, kind of the supporters who 
thankfully uh, contributed to this. Already the lighting is quite a bit better. We're gonna get a new lens. You'll be able to see a little bit more of me, which is not the main event, but uh, it will improve the streaming quality. And uh, Benzinga kicked out a microphone headset and LCD monitor so I can do less staring around to see myself on the screen and more staring at the camera. Anyway, uh, let's recap last week because we had a really interesting one. It was uh, AERC which was a company called AeroClean Technologies. It was a super low float, which is again, something that's catching a lot of um, anything low float IPO they've had. I thought it was getting played out, but then this one came along and it had a COVID angle, which got me excited. I was actually pretty eager to play this one. Uh, the IPO price was $10 and then it debuted in the pre-debut indicator, which we can see on the Webull uh, mobile app and also on the desktop app now started showing $50 as the debut price. And I just said, you know, throw that one up. You know, I can't, I'm not going to buy a $10 IPO price stock that I've never heard of at $50. Then they tested 60 and I was just kind of laughing and going, who the what? And then it, you know, they brought it down a little bit to 40 and the float was one point or it was 2.3 million shares. And the, but the number of shares being shown in the pre-debut indicator where they show you like how many shares are being offered, how many buy orders are there, how many sell orders, the buy orders were outpacing the sell orders by a couple hundred shares, which is a really low number of, you know, to show. And it was only 27,000 shares. So it's kind of like, Hmm, well, how could this drop if nobody's selling? I thought about it, but by the time I put two and two together and thought about a position that would be, um, you know, suitable to my risk appetite, it already gone live and it went up through five halts. <laughs> so from 40 to, you know, 44 opened at 50, 50 to 55 opened at something like 62. I mean, it just kept halting up and halting up. Nobody was selling. People were buying it for some reason. And we see some of these low float IPOs just catch fire like this. It's usually a stealth IPO that does this. Those are these random Chinese, uh, almost intentionally hidden IPOs. And I thought maybe they would pull one on Wednesday. So I was looking out for one, um, but uh, ended up being one that was less uh, obvious in terms of any connection to, you know, potential money laundering scams and more just uh, COVID play on, you know, a low volume day where no, no one else was playing anything else. Uh, and this one just ripped. So something to watch for in the future, low float IPOs with uh, ridiculous debut premium and low volume on the, on the sell side and high buy side imbalance on the indicator. Uh, you, know, you could have made a lot of money if you spotted this one early. And um, unfortunately, I'll have to catch the next one. So this week, I'm going to kind of this really only one, what I would consider like a traditional IPO on the calendar here. There are a few that are uplistings. And I generally don't like uplistings because they've already been kind of that that news that the company is now being uplisted to the NASDAQ or NYSC, it's usually the NASDAQ, has already been priced in. In other words, this was already trading on the OTC or on the, in this case, the Toronto Stock Exchange. And when they announce that they're uplisting, the price goes up already. So by the time they actually list on the, you know, complete the uplisting, except for a few cases, we've seen them drop pretty hard. People see it as a liquidation event for the shareholders. And there's also just a lot of 
I don't think people have a lot of confidence in them. The ones that have done well have been in kind of uh, buzzy industries like Bitcoin was ripping and, um, you know, some Bitcoin miners uplisted. Uh, but generally speaking, uplistings, unless there's some angle that's particularly enticing, I tend not to see them do all that well. Uh, Nuvectus Pharma, this is the one pure play IPO for the week. Uh, some kind of precision medicines for oncology. Um, just like you, I don't know anything about, I, you know, I don't know enough about these and I don't think the market knows enough about these to really give most of them a big jump on their IPO debut. Um, we have seen a few biotechs really run on the IPO, but nine times out of 10, they seem to just kind of drop. And uh, the investors that they're looking for are, you know, kind of expert institutional type of investors who are willing to hold these and, you know, cash and, and they will be also cashing out before the, uh, before the next offering, if not, you know, or doubling down. But I usually avoid these, but given that the market is so keen on these and other things are kind of getting ignored right now, it might be interesting to watch this. If I see a lot of Twitter, you know, hype, a lot of buzz on Reddit, um, and then in the pre-debut indication, we see a price that's, you know, 20 or 30 or 40% above the IPO price. And maybe people are like, get ready to pile in and it's worth, uh, worth a play. But the other reason I don't like these for IPO plays is because the catalysts are so few and far between. Um, you're not very often going to see, and, and most IPOs have some kind of media silent period following the debut of 30 days usually. So if you do get a bad debut, it's not like, um, you know, Rivian, for example, didn't have a great debut. It did go up from about 106 to 119, but then dropped pretty hard all the way down to 95. And I think closed day one at about 106. So if you didn't sell that initial spike and you know then we're kind of holding for a rebound you might have gotten caught in a, at least an overnight bag but then all the media could talk about for like two or three days was the rivian ipo so you got bailed out when everybody who wasn't hip to the ipo debut picked up on the fact that hey this new ev that's like the tesla of pickup trucks that has a relationship with amazon everybody got all excited who didn't hear about it before and kind of non-IPO traders, non-day traders who are still stock investors heard about it on the overnight media play and then you got bailed out from there. So a lot of brand name recognition, a lot of de IPO debuts that have some kind of brand name recognition, you can get bailed out on day two, even if day one isn't that great um, because people recognize the brand and they read the headlines overnight and they come, you know, come in on day two, and you're not going to get that with biotech, and you're not going to get much of a catalyst until they have some kind of um, announcement or FDA approval, and those, that can take months. So I'm very, very cautious with these. Austin Gold, now we're going to do two IPOs that are tentatively on the calendar, but this one has been rescheduled about three times. So it's Gold Exploration in Nevada, the pre-revenue, their website's a joke, um, Roth Capital is the underwriter. People don't seem to like them very much. Uh, I think it's been rescheduled at least three times now. Um, but the CEO did sell his previous gold mining, gold prospecting company, Pritium Resources. 
uh, for $2.8 billion, which offered like a 30% premium on the share price when he sold it. So I uh, can't say that this guy looks like a scam. The float is super low. Gold, maybe it's in, you know, interesting right now if uh, people are tentative about the stock market. But um, I don't know. I'll watch it. Uh, not particularly exciting. Here we have another IPO that is biotech intensity therapeutics. It's a clinical stage biotech focused on localized cancer reduction, leading to anti-cancer immune activation via direct injection into cancer tumors. Uh, again, it could be, they could put almost any words. All I heard was cancer um, and the, and, and pre uh, and clinical stage. So it's a long way from producing profits. It's a long way from getting FDA approval. The low float is 1.5 million shares though. So it wouldn't take that many people to pile in if the existing shareholders decide to hold it to send this thing on a wild run. I don't know why they would, but I didn't know why they would do, you know, what they did to some of the other low float IPOs that have run like crazy. So uh, keep an eye on it. If, um, you know, NVCT ends up doing something wild, then this will be on Wednesday and then these unscheduled ones usually go Friday, especially biotech. So if one runs, keep an eye on people piling to this one. Maybe it's worth a little play. Just don't get greedy. They're not going to do a follow-up offering right away, but I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that there's really going to be much interest on this. And if you do get stuck, you're either going to be eating a loss right away or, you know, bag holding for a really long time. So uh, in Canex Healthcare, IXHL, this one is also uh, to be determined. Who knows if it'll actually go live? Another Roth Capital offering, so beware. It's an Australian-based company. They do research and development uh, based on synthetic cannabinoids. So, you know, psychedelic medicine, weed for medicine. These are interesting topics. It could be buzzy. It's only 1.5 million shares, but it is an uplisting. And the last uplisting we saw from ASX was also 1.5 million shares but or it was 1.5 million, 1 million units. Those units turned out to represent two shares plus a warrant. And that was for AHI. It really didn't do well. It debuted at something like 550 and dropped all the way to three um, before it kind of rebounded a little bit. I think it got, became a target for just the low float, the, re, the fact that it was a low float recent IPO. So I'm probably not going to play this. There's just too many things that require combing through the S1 to or the F1, I guess it is for a foreign company uh, to understand how all the warrants and the 80, you know, the, the American depository shares are going to work. And uh, day traders seem to not really find that all that exciting to, to, to trade on. So what is interesting to me, again, I'm going to mention it. I mentioned it last week is these stealth IPOs. And the stealth IPOs are a little bit tied to some of these other Chinese names that we've seen. I called out last week uh, PLIN, uh, which is up 10% today. Uh, PLIN was at about $1.40 when I called it out last Monday. Now it's at 207. It's complete garbage. I mean, it's a Chinese like grocery store. Pets, I called that out on September 30th when it was $1.30. $1.40. Now it's at $4.85. Um, also garbage, literally a Chinese dog food company. And the reason that these companies are going up and are running is because nothing to do with the underlying company. But what is happening, and at least my theory, which I've floated to a few, you know, big money people who say, yeah, it's an interesting theory and I can't debate, you know, and it 
it, it's interesting. We can't trade on it, but uh, the theory is simply China, wealthy Chinese are in a position where they're panicking. They've seen what's happened to Jack Ma. They've heard what the government said about uh, cracking down on the wealthy. Uh, they understand that there's tensions over the Taiwan Strait, uh, that there's tensions with America, that there are semiconductor shortages. All of this has a negative impact, you know, not to mention the real estate problems um, or the problems in the real estate economy there. And they're looking to get their money out of China. And one way that this can be done is through the stock market. And the technique works something like, well, you move shares to somebody outside of China, and then with all your money, you just buy up all those shares at an exp as expensive a price as you can, basically moving your money to the account of whoever you gave all those shares to. And since you control that to some degree through either a direct offering, as we saw with PLIN and with PETS, um, or through an IPO, such as we saw with um, UTME, TIRX, EJH, uh, JZXN. I mean, these were all like $5 IPOs that went, oh, CPOP, uh, $5 IPOs that went to like $50, $60 within you know, a day or two after the IPO for companies that were laughably uh, bad in terms of what their underlying you know, business was. EJH was literally a like, cleaning services company. Um, I don't even know what TIRX or JZXN did. Uh, W&W was kind of the original one. And these all have the same underwriters. They're generally kind of even the underwriters even use the same law firms um, and do and, and co-underwrite some of these. So the one that I have, two that I have on watch, one is GSUN. We've talked about this before. We talked about it last week. I was almost, I was kind of expecting that they were going to do it last week. Um, they did... Uh, and the reason that they're on watch now is they've been on watch since about May and they updated one of their filings last or two weeks ago. So I'm watching this one, Chinese education, but that's not the point. It's 5 million shares. Network One Financial is the underwriter. And if we see a debut that's kind of above, they usually price at about $4 or $5. We see this debut, you know, between usually like nine to $18. I will buy a lot of shares and, you know, expect it to just halt, 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 halt. It, sometimes they rip it up to like 40 or 45 before they even debut it, in which case I can't touch that. Um, but uh, the first one is G-Sun. The next one is MULG. And we talked about this one a long time ago as well. And this is Muliang Viagu Technology Company. They are a Chinese organic fertilizer company and their brands are Zongbao, Fukang, and Muliang. So we are literally talking about a Fukang Chinese chicken crap company. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know how to feel about that one. I'm out on that one, Matt. I am going to be very bullish on this one. Really? And the reason the reason is to twofold. Um, one is that it's complete. It's literally Chinese chicken crap. Um, the and and the ones that have run have been so bad that they almost are intentionally kind of hiding. I call these stealth IPOs because when I first noticed them, I was missing them. You know, I'm here. I am studying all the IPOs for the week ahead of time, uh, researching all of them, reading, pouring through F1s and S1 filings, um, and then I forget which the first one might have been W and W, and it just ripped up to like from like a $7 debut to like $160 in three days. I was like, what? I didn't even, what, what is this company? 
And then I saw it just IPO'd like three days ago. How did I miss that? I didn't even know about, that it existed. And I started researching. I was like, oh, the underwriter, Bostead Securities. I've never heard of them. Um, and then I started following them and then, uh, you know, set up alerts for Bostead. And then I caught a couple of the Bostead offerings and they all did really well. Uh, I mean, we're talking like 100%, 150% gains on, in the same day. Um, so anytime I see Bostead Securities as an underwriter of anything, and that's what put Pets on the radar for me. Pets was trading at like $2 um, back in mid-September. And then I got an update on my Bostead signals that they were doing a $30 million share offering. And the share offering price was, you know, if you counted the warrants and the share price, like 30 cents a share. And you're just like, well, how can they do a share offering for 30 million shares on a 9 million share company uh, and not sink the, and you know, not be a danger of getting themselves delisted for, you know, the, the stock trading below a dollar. And I researched it more. I saw that, okay, well, insiders own 82% of the company and um, you know, something is, when I see something that's counterintuitive, it makes me, and both sides involved, I say, okay, I'll buy like, you know, 5,000 shares. Um, and I was right. It, uh, you know, took about a month, um, but then it ripped up to like $9. I sold out my cost basis and now I'm waiting to see if maybe they had higher, you know, higher valuation in mind. Otherwise I'll say, okay, well, I'm still way, way up and I'll take my profits at some point, but PLIN, same exact thing. It was, uh, about two weeks ago, we caught a, another direct offering. And I believe Bostead did the original IPO on PLIN and now it's up, you know, from, I got in at like a dollar 40. Now it's at two ten uh, a week later. And I don't think it's ripped yet, but there's something going on here. These aren't, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, well, a Chinese organized fertilizer company, how much money is in that? You know, they use, uh, there must be huge brands in that. That's not the point. The point is, uh, and, and look, I, I put this clip in here. It's OTC right now. Look at the bid ask price here. Okay, the last price, it tra hasn't traded since uh, December 2, like no shares have actually changed hands since December 2019. The bid price is $12. The ask price is $3,490. That's quite a spread, don't you think? So, anyway, yeah. if this one goes live, okay, and, and the comp for this one is FC. Uh, UV. Uh, FCUV was another boasted uh, underwritten uplisting and it debuted or the uplisting part was priced at like $5 or something. And for the first day after the, the pricing, it just kind of traded flat and down a little bit even. And then the next day it ripped up to like $30. And then uh, and Cal in the chat's asking for the dates on these. Do you mind just running through the ones we've talked about so far and giving the, the actual IPO dates for each one? Sure. Here we go. Uh, Skylight Health, to be determined. Nuvectus is uh, Wednesday, uh, December 1st. Austin Gold is scheduled for Friday, but it's been rescheduled so many times. I kind of don't expect it to ever get, go live. Um, <laughs> and then the others are probably Friday. Uh, generally, we see Friday kind of like reserved for the oddities and um, you know, biotechs. So when I see TBD, uh, no date set, I generally 
think that it's going to be a Friday IPO. And if not Friday, it may not go live at all. So we're kind of like still working our way back. I was surprised that there were any IPOs last week. There were a few scheduled that got pulled. And, um, you know, I think next week we'll start to see a few more names that might be a little bit more recognizable. Um, but uh, I expect these to be on the, you know, on the third, these, uh, these last two. And the stealth ones usually go on Friday also. There'll be some obscure press release. I think it's a formality that they have to release some kind of, you know, wire will go out on, um, and I usually get an alert in my, you know, from my Google alerts that I have set up to catch these. But um, if I do get any news on, especially the stealth ones, I send out an email on my, <laughs> the newsletter. If you go to ipowarriors.com, sign up for the newsletter, it's free. And I'll send up a uh, write-up on these later, you know, these that we've covered today, I'll send that out to, um, in a few hours. And then otherwise, I, when I see something interesting, I'll, you know, if I get a, how I'll know is because they'll have to release the pricing on the IPO usually the day before. And if I see that and I get that alert, then I send it out to everybody and say, Hey, watch out for the stealth IPO. So people have caught them before. Um, and you know, from my newsletter and, uh, you know, I, I like it when I'm not the only one celebrating a big win. So I will uh, send those out when we get them. Beautiful. All right, so we, did we get through all those, Matt? That's everything, yep. Beautiful. All right, y'all, well, this is Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. Like Matt said, go to ipowarriors.com. To uh, some, someone, just, someone just asked what time do they usually open. Um, I would say that, you know, first of all, and I, it's one of the questions I get every IPO that we play is, um, when is this going to go live? When is it going to go live? We never know when it's going to go live. It's a balancing process where the people who bought IPO shares that do want to sell right away, you know, commit to selling at a, you know, whatever price they want to sell and buyers, people like me who are trying to buy the debut, especially the ones that we like, we're putting in our limit orders to get filled right when it goes live. And once they've balanced out all those shares, uh, and they will adjust the price until they find that balance then the shares will go live. So with a, like a high float IPO like Rivian, that can take hours and they won't go live until I think that one went live at around 1 p.m. Yes, you know, Eastern. Uh, these low float stealth IPOs, they're tricky. And I would say most of them go live between about 9.50 to about 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. And it always feels like they're trying to trick us. Like um, the one that we missed a couple of weeks ago was so uh, S O P A uh, SOPA. And um, we actually called it out on the show and I was trying to play it, but Webull was showing the indication price. It showed like $11 and $12 and $13. And then it just showed zero. And I was like, what did they pull it? Something going on. And you know, they just left it at zero and then it went live at something like 1550. And then ripped up to, I think it closed, I think it, day two, it hit like 70 um, and ripped up to something like 50 by the end, by the, at the close of day one. So if you had caught it at 16 or 1550 and wrote it all the way to the end of the day, you'd have had like a three or 400% gain. Um, but they do go pretty quickly because they are, in my opinion, intentionally trying to hide them. And the floats are low to begin with, which is what that makes them something that they can really rip into ridiculous prices that then facilitate that money laundering move. 
And uh, if you want to try to catch them, you want to be kind of at your desk at probably 9.30 combing, um, you know, Benzinga Pro often has uh, the when the pricing is going to start. Not always, but I use that for when they do have it. It'll say like um, MULG shares uh, expected to begin pricing at 950. Uh, trading expected, you know, 10 o'clock. They always say 10 minutes later. That's never or very rarely the case. But with these low flow stealth ones, they don't seem to want to dangle them around out there too long. They kind of want to like pair them up move them out the door and start whatever shenanigans they're up to uh, before the market gains too much um, kind of awareness of what's happening. They'll rip, you know, usually one or two halts before day traders start going, oh, it's one of these, everybody in. And that's when the real fireworks start. And uh, they can be a lot of fun. I've made a ton of money on these. So Sam, crazy, say what you want. But, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And those who have played these before with me know <laughs> that when these come along, it's a good time to, I, I like to cut my bags at that point, anything I'm down in, clear up a bunch of money. And uh, I, I played these kind of bit large to uh, an almost um, comically crazy level. So keep an eye on them. They're fun. They're, they're the most volatile play i think i've ever seen that make absolutely no sense so right uh, all right y'all well if you, if you want more from matt go check him out at, on twitter at warrior ipo again ipowarriors.com is the website looks like uh you also got a reddit a little subreddit ipo warriors r slash ipo warriors yeah so the subreddit we are almost every day kind of chatting with each other talking about it's not just ipo talk we do focus on recent ipos SPACs, um we talk a lot about whatever's halting during the day, but uh, mostly IPO talk. And what we're really in there for is the IPO days. We are calling out the indication price, talking strategy before it goes. Um, it's a pretty fun community. I mean, if you want to just kind of hang out on the IPO days and talk about and get pretty much coached through the trades, at least the entry. And, you know, we talk about different ideas there. There are different strategies than just buying the debut. You know, you can try to ladder trip, you know, set up a, a ladder of entries in case you do get an opening dip before it uh, rips up. We're talking about, um, you know, what we see on level two, where we're trying, you know, what our targets are, how we're, you know, playing halts. Um, so there's a lot of, it, it's fun. We are live trading there. I do want to move towards live trading some of these on, you know, youtube uh the same way we you know we're doing the show now do some some live trading on these and uh it's really just a, a fun community i mean i'm not running any subscription serve you know paid subscription services at this point people have uh, been generous with you know donations when i've helped them win money um but for me this is kind of like uh more fun than just trading by myself and ipos really are like an event i mean it, there's no nothing really like it in my opinion where you know that there is a catalyst coming um, this isn't where some people got to buy in, in a, buy in at the early pre-market or, um, I mean, yes, some people get IPO allocations, but for the most part, we're, you know, people are not getting significant all allocations that are trading these. And it's almost like, uh, it's more like watching a football game where you sit around getting excited. There's the buildup, there's the, uh, anticipation of the kickoff. Um, you have your trades in, I mean, for me, I'm putting a significant amount of amount of money on each of these trades and uh you know i'm not gonna lie i get excited my heart's 
pounding and I'm not the only one. And then it goes live and you're watching, you know, the volatility is there, the volumes there. Uh, the catalyst is the IPO. It's everything that you look for a trade on an even field, really, with all the other retail traders. So to me, there's nothing like it. And really, if I had if I just focused on IPO trading, first of all, I wouldn't have to trade so many days, you know, and be watching the market all the time like I am. I'm actually like in the process of closing out most of my positions and moving just towards IPO trading because it's been so lucrative. It's taken me from basically like mid five figures to mid six figures in 18 months. So, wow. um, wow. yeah, uh, it, it, you know, people, they don't buy the OPO. It's the wrong time. Yes, that is true. If you're going to take a long position, uh, on a stock, the IPO is generally not going to be the, um, you know, the lowest price of the, of the first six months or, or the first year of a stock. Uh, right. you've got lockup periods coming up. You've got, uh, you know, market conditions that uh, are can be very hot during the IPO. You're paying a premium usually to whatever, you know, the actual IPO price is when it goes live. You're not getting it at the IPO price. You're getting it at uh, the market price. So if you look, I'm, I'm, don't confuse my what I'm doing for buying things on the IPO, thinking that that's going to be the lowest price ever. Um, it's also usually not the highest price ever, uh, especially within the first few days, which is where I'm making my, you know, making my money. I'm buying things like uh, you looked at SE, SEV the other week or Bros Coffee. I mean, those were tremendous. And that one I showed you from last week, these are tremendous profit opportunities if you get into them and you recognize the demand. So right. um, these are in, out. They're not really, but you don't have to do so much technical reading. You don't have to read... Um, weeks or months of, you know, you guys are way so far beyond me when you're in your technical analysis of, you know, going back to resistance level. I'm just kind of like, look, I'm buying something when I think it's, you know, demand is going to pile up behind me. And I'm selling a lot of these within, you know, 20, 30 minutes for, I mean, TIRX was my best whenever it was a three hour halt, but I made $33,000 on a $16,000 trade um, in one day. And, uh, you know, even that one from, you know, we go back to that one that I showed you before. If you had traded for an hour on it and saw it coming and kept reading the level two data on the halts, you could have taken that, you know, pretty comfortably from 40 to, say, 60 or even $80 and doubled your money in about an hour and a half of trading and then walked away and had a great Thanksgiving. Anyway, uh, thanks for your time. I can say you got to go. Of course. Yep. We're up against the clock here. Time for our next guest. But again, thank you for joining. As always, Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. Please check out the site. Check them out on Twitter as well. Matt, we will see you next week. Cool. Thanks, producer. Of course. All right, y'all. That was Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. We've got a stack show as always. So joining me in a minute will be Jake Wujastic from Trendspider. Um, so he's got some charts we're going to look through. You can also throw some tickers in the chat. Maybe we'll have time to get, get to a few tickers from the chat. Um, and then after Jake, we've got Chris Capri joining us at 1.30. So we'll be talking about some options with Chris. Um, maybe a little bit of op- option talk with Jake as well. So we've got two kind of technical guests back to back from 1 to 2. So if, if you're you know, in the mood for some technicals, we've got you covered here on Benzinga. Before I bring Jake on, I got to make an ask to the chat. Please, everybody, smash that like. It just takes two seconds, and it is completely 100% free. Um, let me go ahead and play my cool little graphic. 
See, I mean, I, I get it, right? You're not going to do it for me. Spencer's not here today, so maybe this video doesn't deserve as many likes. But at least do it for our great editors. I mean, look at this little thing they put together. How I got to play it again. How great it is. That took someone like 28 hours of straight work. So um, please smash the like for that editor. All right, let us know in the chat what charts you're looking at. We're bringing Jake on right now. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll just talk some charts, hang out, have a good time. And uh, yeah, without further ado, Jake with Jack. Jakey, Jakey, how you doing? What's up? How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. It was great. Got uh, got uh, my son's first Thanksgiving in the books. So uh, we had a great time. We we spent it with friends rather than family. Family was in um, where I'm originally from in North Carolina. But yeah, we had a great time. How was yours? It was good. I went back home to St. Louis, got to see family. Um, you know, the traveling was a little hectic with that. You know, the airports were a little backed up and whatnot. But uh, yeah, good time. Cannot complain. Good to be back in Detroit, though. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Congrats on the big game. The, uh, oh, the Michigan game. Yeah. 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 Saying, yeah. That was, that I'm, was quite the game. I'm kicking myself because, uh, my boss, Jason Rasnick, actually, like last minute invited me to the game. Um, oh. but I was back in St. Louis and my flights were on Sunday, not Saturday. So I actually looked at changing my flights and it would have cost me like an extra like $350. I was like, uh, no, you know, I'm just going to keep my original flights on Sunday. Didn't end up going. And now I'm like, yeah, if I could go back in time, I would have paid that 350 and came up and gone to that game. Cause that seemed like a kind of one of those once in a lifetime, uh, like sporting events to be at. Oh yeah. Man, that was, that was epic. But speaking of epic, the market is just absolutely beautiful today. I'm loving it. So, um, definitely wanted to go over some charts. Uh, and I will I will talk about options a little bit because there seems to be some fallacies in the market. I think some people are learning some valuable lessons today um, on options. But you know, before we get started, let's just go over SPY and maybe a couple other names that really set the stage for a potential big bounce going into this week. One uh, last Friday was a very illiquid time to to have a news event like this new variant come out. It was Friday. You were you were either hungover, you were either full of food that you could barely move. There was no participants in the market to really you know be that demand to absorb any supply that was that was coming on the market from this variant news, and that's why you saw such just an absolute move down across the board. And uh, you know it was it was interesting because you know it was one of those things where I I just. Anytime I see the VIX up really over 25%, I mean, it was up 54% on Friday. That's always a bit of a red flag. Hey, this is pure emotion. This is straight up panic. And you can't, you can't sell on those types of days unless the thesis has changed. So one thing that I was really looking at on SPY, especially over the weekend, was the, the Williams percent range. If you guys are not using the Williams percent range on overextensions to the upside and the downside, you really need to. It's it's a great way to identify potential bottoms in the market when, when we do have sell-offs like Friday. So if you're looking at the SPY chart, you'll see these circles, green and yellow uh, or orange, whatever color that is to you. So essentially what I did was I, I looked at 
the Williams percent range 10. I'm not using a 14 because of Williams percent range 14 is very random, right? It's that if you're looking at the market in terms of trading days, 14 is not two weeks. 14 is two weeks because you have five trading days in a week times two, that's 10 plus four, that's four trading days. So you have two weeks and four trading days, a very random number. Even though it is the default for the indicator, it's not something I use really in any lower indicator oscillators that I look at, which most of the time it's just the percent range and the RSI sometimes. So what I did was I saw, you know, every time the Williams percent range uh, had a big dip, meaning that it really dropped below about negative 85, uh, highlighted by these circles, you generally had a bounce this year. So anything that's highlighted in green, you had a bounce within two trading days, and that was a short-term bottom. Anytime you had a, uh, a orange circle, that was, uh, that was a time where the market did actually continue lower and hit new lows over you know, a two or three week period. So uh, as you can see, we've got this yellow circle here. I circled it yellow because I, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen today. I had a general idea last night when Bitcoin started to rip. I wasn't even looking at futures. I was looking at Bitcoin because crypto is your risk on high beta uh, sentiment indicator for the equities markets. And so when you saw crypto ripping, that was a good indication that risk was back on in the market. We did have a little bit of a pullback this morning. Uh, just to get all those shorts that thought they were clever and you know we're going to continue lower. And then we're just ripping right now. So um, this signal is showing a pretty strong move to the upside. I'm not fully convinced yet. I'll be very convinced if we can really uh, close above this anchor VWAP from this uh, last Monday's high candle here. That would be you know the main thing I'm looking at. Uh, and, and the thing is, we did have that type of move the day before the crash. But remember, Friday was a very unique time for this type of news to come out. No liquidity in the market. And that's exactly why we had to move the way we did. Um, so the main thing I'd be looking at really for a continuation move higher would be a close above this anchor VWAP from the high, which is right around 465. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's, let's say around 465.50 is what we want to see a close above. And you know that's, that's something that you could pair with this this uh, anchored VWAP setup, right? So for those that follow me and even follow the Trendspire account, we love to use the anchored VWAP that was really uh, brought to the market by Brian Shannon. And the way I like to use it and the way I was taught to use it was, one, you want to anchor a volume-weighted average price from a low. This is the October low. This is the status quo change in the market. Then you want to anchor another volume-weighted average price, meaning you want to start another volume-weighted average price from the last candle that tested the original one. So the original one is this dark blue line. The handoff is this lighter blue line. And you'll see we moved down right to that handoff anchored VWAP on Friday with this percent range oversold. So you had kind of this double whammy here and we just were setting up pretty strong for a pretty big move uh, if, we, if we did really uh, have panic subside a little bit, it seems like we did. Um, so that's that's SPY. That was why I was relatively confident going into this week. Um, I added some positions on on Friday. I did go pretty heavy cash, almost all cash and active positions on Monday, and then Wednesday I did I did add some positions in F cell as well as a uh, first solar, and uh, and then on Friday I just added more because the thesis had not changed. It was you know if we look back at other variants, did we continue down? No. Um, there was just a lot of uncertainty about the vaccine. So 
SPY percent range signal, pretty strong. I would definitely want to see a continuation and, and kind of a grind higher for this to, to be the true bottom, but you definitely have a nice thrust candle here so far. But another one that really kind of convinced me that we were likely at a short-term bottom was IWM. So IWM uh, was a little tricky. If you look at IWM on the Williams percent range 10, it did give a few false signals. And that's the problem with oscillators, right? They can be oversold for a lot longer than you can stay solvent, especially if you're in options contracts or on leverage. But one thing that's really interesting is we moved down right to this year-to-date anchored VWAP. So that's essentially the volume-weighted average price from the start of the year. On top of that, if you anchor the volume by price, which is just looking at the volume and where it's aggregating since uh, a specific point in time, in this case, the July uh, low here, we had a massive volume shelf. And if you follow me or, or the TrendSpider account, you know we talk about these volume shelves all the time. It's an area where there's a ton of volume holding uh, at a specific level and aggregating. So we bounced right at this level perfectly. But then the other thing that I really don't talk, uh, talk a lot or touch on often at all is the relative volume indicator. And this is honestly something I only use on capitulation days. So, so a capitulation day, meaning a huge move down with a huge spike in volume. And the relative volume indicator is essentially showing you you know, where, where are these huge spikes in volume where we have a much higher volume day than your 20-day average for, for volume? So you can see anytime we have this green shaded area, that is an area where you essentially have this capitulation volume. And you probably can't see it that well on the right-hand side. The y-axis is essentially these, these uh, numbers here that represent the multiple. So for example, two means that the, the volume was twice as much as the 20-day the, uh, moving average. Your 20-day moving average is essentially just this flat part here. So if, the, if you're trading right, for example, here, if you've got a day where you're literally right at this horizontal line, it means that you pretty much traded right at the 20-day volume moving average. So whenever you have these spikes, it's worth noting, and, and to the upside and the downside, so you can see we had a big volume spike in early November, and that marked a high. Uh, we have the volume spike on Friday. So far, that's marking uh, at least a short-term low. So this is something I would highly recommend if you are a customer of TrendSpider and you haven't really seen me use this. Definitely use the relative volume indicator on big down days, especially on IWM. I have never seen this indicator not work for at least short-term bottoms when you've got this big of a spike in volume. Uh, it's just incredibly powerful, and it's something that I, I, uh, you know, really helped me get some confidence going into today with with uh, some type of move to the upside. Um, and, and then you had, uh, and then you really had Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum was probably the main one I was looking at. And if you look at the the weekly chart, I, you know, there there have been some divergences on Bitcoin, and that's something I was definitely mentioning last week, but. Let's just go to that real quick so we can kind of clarify that. On Bitcoin, you had, oh, I took it off. Damn it. Um, okay, well, we can touch on this then. Anyways, if you go to Bitcoin and you go to the, the, uh, the eight, so let's turn on the eight. That means we're looking back essentially two months. 
That's why I'm using the Williams percent range on the weekly for eight. Um, same reason I use the Williams percent range 10 on the daily. I want to look back two weeks. The weekly, I want to look back two months. Um, so notice here we had this divergence. So we had these higher highs forming, but we had the lower highs on the percent range. Well, we had already pretty much fulfilled that divergence, right? By the end of this weekend, the divergence had kind of played out. We were at this long-term level of support. And then on top of that, if you look back since the COVID low, you can see Bitcoin does not really have a lot of uh, consistent weekly red weeks, meaning you closed lower than the week before. You have only had more than two, uh, you've only had two instances where you closed more than two red weeks in a row. That was in the early stages during the COVID crash, as well as uh, June of 2020. Yeah, of June of 2020. And then the rest of them, you have not had more than two weeks red in a row. So if you looked at these two weeks, you had red. Uh, this was the second red week that closed yesterday right on this long-term support. So that was another thesis for me where I'm like, this divergence may be over. And as soon as we flipped above that 56K and just ripped, it was over. I, you know, I was pretty confident risk was back on across the, uh, the financial markets. But you know, Ethereum was the same thing. If you look at the weekly chart, all you did here was simply test this previous resistance, test this longer term area of support, and then, and then, you know, you started, uh, you started absolutely ripping so far this week. We'll see how it ends, but um, crypto is my main thing to look at over the weekends to get an idea of where the market could go on Monday. Now, Bitcoin did have some rough patches during Saturday and Sunday, but going into pretty much the last two hours before futures open, we started to rip. That was a pretty good sign. Futures were going to rip as well. And, and that's that's kind of what we got. Uh, for those that love statistics, you know, go look up the correlation coefficient of SPY or QQQ and crypto. It's pretty high. That means they move in tandem, except crypto has a little bit of a higher beta. It means that's more sensitive to those moves. Um, so hopefully that helped understand kind of my thought process on why the markets uh, looked like we, we were probably going to get a pretty big move up uh, on Monday. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that, too. I like looking at the chart of like Bitcoin compared to SPY because they're pretty correlated. But I feel like it, that takes away from, um, I guess, a lot of like crypto purists uh, thesis that like, you know, Bitcoin is its own insular, uh, you know, monetary, you know, product, really. Like, because like, if, it, if it's just going to follow the market, then why not be invested in the market? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but at least since the COVID bottom markets and crypto, at least your Ethereum's, your Bitcoins move in tandem. Um, you do have a couple instances where they don't um, because of that higher beta that Bitcoin and Ethereum have, meaning they move stronger than the markets and you've got some of these wild uh, liquidations and that type of thing. But they do move together, at least for now, that that uh, connection could uh, disconnect. But for now, they, they do move very similar and you should be watching crypto with the markets to get an idea of, you know, this this liquidity sentiment in the market. Um, so yeah. So, so, so essentially you're saying if I, you know, am hanging out tonight after futures close at, at 10 p.m. Eastern and I see, oh, my God, Ethereum and Bitcoin are up 5 percent each that I can have a pretty good idea. OK, at least at the open tomorrow, if nothing changes, that we should see a pretty good day. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's like what I, I 
uh, again, because like I, I love I, I love crypto. I love the space. I love trading it. I love investing in it. But I but sometimes like some of these people that are so into crypto that like essentially they're like all like, no, sell all your stocks and use that to buy crypto. It's like, all right, when COVID hit, crypto crashed too. You know, it's not like you have this thing that's, uh, y- you know, always going up no matter what. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's it's really a, it's really a bet against inflation. So, you know, the the more chance of inflation. But even, even that, like a month ago, we saw the CPI number come out hotter than expected and Bitcoin ended up down to 3% on the day. Which which makes sense because the market's anticipating that they may raise rates because inflation is going up. So so as long as inflation continues up without an interaction between the Fed, then you're going to you're going to see that that long term trend continue up. So even um, Bitcoin will get hit on on an announcement of Fed raising rates. Oh, for sure. Yep. Got it. Yep. Um, but but yeah, so that's that's kind of the thesis. Uh, the relative volume indicator, huge one to check out on TrendSpider. Um, so make sure to check that out if you do have an account. If you don't, we have the seven day free trial. You can lock in the sixty uh, percent off, which it is the last day for Black Friday. But the other thing that I want to go over is just some some ideas going into uh, maybe the rest of the week if we do have that strength. First one is F cell. You know, this is one that I am looking at. I have a position. But I'm also not married to the position. And I, I, the only problem I have with this stock is you do have a lot of people in it. If everybody's in the position, who's going to be that next demand uh, side of demand to bring it up to the next level? So for me, uh, my stop is right around, you know, probably around 850, that psychological level, a little below the previous lows. But you can see here, if you're using the Williams percent range 10, notice I changed it back to 10 because we're on the daily and I want to do a look back of two, two trading weeks. You've got, you've got these, uh, these pennant setups that have formed uh, multiple times over, over the last you know, two or three months. And you've got the Williams percent range with a pretty strong signal here. So anytime the Williams percent range is oversold and you start to tick up, that's generally a pretty good signal for F-Cell. Now, um, we'll see how it plays out. The thing that I like about it is it is in an uptrend, uh, at least on a, let's say, two to three month side of things. But then if you go to, let's say, the monthly chart, you're in a longer term primary uptrend as well. I mean, since the bottom here in 2019, 2018, we are hitting higher lows uh, and hitting higher highs. So that is a longer term primary uptrend. Uh, and then and then you do have this kind of secondary trend that did uh, come into play from around 2021 in February to August. And we seem to try to be, uh, you know, moving up again. And so that's why I like this. It isn't an uptrend. Uh, a lot of your moving averages are starting to increase, something that Brian Shannon, who's a huge mentor to me, constantly pushes on. Anytime I get into position, he's like, why are you in this if the moving average is, is decreasing? Um, you do have the five day uh, moving average decreasing. Uh, so if you go back to the daily, that is still decreasing here, uh, which would be something, you know, he'd be looking at and saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe not yet for me. Uh, but for me, I definitely do like the signal I'm seeing. If we can close, let's say above nine, $9 and probably near the highs today, I would see that this divergence is probably going to play out and be a stronger signal. But by no means am I married to this position. If I stop out, I stop out and move on. Um, so, so that's kind of the thesis there. Uh, I do think renewable energy is going to continue to be a, a, a topic going into the new year. 
and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, and then the next one I want to go over is uh, First Solar, another trade that I'm currently in. Um, and this is one that kind of has an interesting thesis. So let me just take off the five day. And, you know, the main thing for me here is you've got this handoff anchored VWAP. So that's very similar to what we just used on SPY. You can see that it's holding here. We hit a higher low on Friday. So even with the market turmoil, we did hit a higher low than what we put in on the 18th of November. If you look at the Williams percent range, we have this signal here. Anytime we've really been over, uh, let me put this to 10, sorry. Anytime we've been oversold, you generally are, are forming a, uh, at least a short-term bottom. So, um, you know, I could quickly do this. This is another, if somebody's using TrendSpider and they want to quickly highlight a lower indicator while kind of clicking on the price, use this, uh, this line with the circle around it. So when I do that, notice it's actually circling uh, this, this point and the price action here uh, while I'm just clicking. So here, same thing. So it's highlighting these areas for me as I'm highlighting them on the chart. So it, it just is a little, uh, you know, a little bit of a, an efficiency play where you can, um, you know, see this on the chart and not have to circle these individually. So every time we've had these, uh, these divergences, notice I, I was looking for the divergence on the 18th. We got it. We got the big move. And now we're starting to kind of form a bottom here. So on top of that, you've got the, the volume by price forming a nice shelf here. So for me, you know, this, this one makes sense, um, you know, to be in as well. But those are kind of the main two active trades I'm in. I, I don't really spread myself thin with this. I definitely uh, only pay attention to a couple positions. It helps me stay focused on the position. How many times, you know, talking to the crowd, how many times have you been, have you been in 10 positions where five of them are working really well, but the other five aren't? And that emotion from your losses on the other five are playing into your, your confidence in the five that you're winning on and, and make, making you essentially mess up. So I like to keep them you know, pretty concentrated. And so these are the two that I'm, I'm playing um, going into the rest of this week. Common shares. Uh, so this is kind of that fallacy I wanted to talk about. I know we're probably, uh, we've got about five minutes left. Yep. But this fallacy that I want to touch on is... Friday, right? Friday, you had the VIX historically high, the fourth highest VIX since the inception in the in, in 1990. Highest like one day gain or it was actually at the highest? Fourth highest. For, no, no. Fourth high, fourth biggest move up. Got it. Uh, so 54% move up in one day. That's insane. Um, so what's interesting about this is anytime you, you want to buy the dip, and you have the VIX that high, do not, and I'm, this is not financial advice, but you do not want to buy options because those options have such an implied volatility priced into them because the VIX is so high. On a day like today where you've got a strong green day, the VIX is tanking. So a lot of people may be wondering, why, why is my call option down even though you know the stock's up 0.5 or 1%? It's because the VIX is crashing. The implied volatility is tanking in all of these positions, whether it was a call or a put. So, you know, for me, I will never buy contracts on a day like Friday. I just added common stock uh, because of that reason. Uh, so, so that's a little thing to always keep in mind. Do not 
you don't want to play options, or at least if you want to be smart about it, you don't want to play options when the VIX is that elevated. Because if you have a day like today where the VIX is just crashing, you're going to get destroyed, even if the move is in the right direction the next day, um, if the VIX is crashing. So just just something that I've learned personally, and you know, hopefully helps others that that haven't learned the lesson uh, yet. Yeah, no, that's a that's great advice because I'm sure a lot of people did just that. They saw a stock they liked that was down five percent on Friday, bought a call, and the stock's up today, but their calls are down, um, and they're sitting there like, "What the heck?" You know, I I picked the right way, whatever. Um, I, I'm kicking myself because actually at the beginning of last week, I had some uh, Moderna calls that I sold on like Wednesday or maybe even Tuesday. And I sold them, I think I had like two contracts. I sold them each for like $500 for like a grand. And if I would have held those contracts into Friday when Moderna was up 20% and the VIX skyrocketed, they would have been worth like 10 grand each. But Ooh. how was I supposed to know there'd be a new COVID variant and Moderna would be up 20%? Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the thing, you know, um, even, even on a big move down day, if the VIX is up that much, you'll notice that your calls may be not down as much as you think because that implied volatility is being priced into the contract. Right. Exactly. Um, all right, well, we've got a couple minutes left. If you've got anything else you want to look at by all means, if not, you know, this was some great information. I love the, uh, Cause that's been like something that I feel like I've been on for a while. The fact that like, Hey, the crypt cryptos, at least Bitcoin and Ethereum, like you said, are kind of moving with the markets. I've never really tried to look at them as kind of a, a de facto like futures, you know? Yeah. They, I mean, it, it's not perfect by any means, uh, but it is a good, uh, it is a good proxy at least um, for the most part, at least for now that that connection can always disconnect and, and, but for now, there is a pretty high correlation between the two. But yeah, I mean, we've got a couple minutes. If somebody wants to throw out a chart, you know, the first one that throws out a chart. In the All right, let's do it. First one to throw out a chart gets we'll it. Go, we're looking at we'll go over it. Um, but I, yeah. have it, I have it right in front of me. So let's see who gets to it. I, I think actually the for like the COVID purist crowd, they should actually want that decorrelation from the market. Because if your whole thesis is like, oh, look, like this is going to be the monetary monetary money of the future app. it's a hedge against uh everything all right jake saw apps first apps um oh man this thing's gotten crushed <laughs> absolutely crushed well the good news is we are uh at the covid low anchored volume weighted average price that means that what is the average price per share paid since the covid low you can see that we have bounced off this level before Back in uh, August, we bounced back in, um, uh, well, right now we're at it, but back also in June, pretty much from April 2020 all the way to around June, we rode up it here. And you'll notice that I've got a percentage band here. That means that I've added a little flexibility around this. Essentially, a percentage envelope is what you know the technical term would be. But it's because, notice here, back in August, we also did not bounce right off the VWAP. We bounced off this zone. And so you want to look at uh, past price history and see, okay, you know, what is this zone that price has respected? There's not a, there's not a exact uh, percentage band that you want to use because it's based on the personality of the stock. So this one is, um, this percentage band is a 10% a band. So I'm adding another band 10% higher than the VWAP and that's where we've bounced. If you go to an example like Snap on the monthly chart, 
Uh, you'll see here that I used a 15% band on this one because look back, what did we ride up? We rode right along this 15% band back in 2020 and we're right back at it again. So that's how I come up with these bands. There's not an exact science to it. You just have to look at the personality of the stock. Look where price action has respected the band or you know that's that percentage envelope before and that's how you can come up with your flexibility for each individual name so hopefully that's helpful got it all right everyone jake wujastic check out trend spider um i saw someone in the chat saying they got on the black friday deal and they love it so far i don't know if they've got a cyber monday deal going on so far right now or not but yep. uh well yep Black Friday is just, you know, it's it's a continued into Monday. I guess you'd call it Cyber Monday deal, but 60% off any plan. Just go to trendspider.com and go to the pricing page. The the 60% discount is already uh, in the um, is already in the price. So you don't have to add a discount or anything. And if you sign up today, you still get the seven-day free trial. So if you sign up today, the sale ends tonight. You still get that seven-day free trial and you're locked in with the 60% off at the end of that seven days. So give it a shot. That's what I'm always using. Every time I come on here, every Monday, we're using TrendSpider. And it's definitely the best tool I've ever used uh, looking at the markets. Beautiful. And if you do sign up, just make sure you tell them that AB sent you um benzinga i'm just kidding uh but yeah have have fun check out the trend spider jake thank you for coming on looking forward to next monday having you on it until then have a great week hey you too man see ya peace peace all right y'all that was jake wujastic from trend spider bringing on chris capri since we ran a little over time we're just rocking and rolling going one guest to the next guest um chris how you doing very good and yourself pretty good cannot complain Did you have a good holiday I did. It was a combination of super relaxing and hectic at the same time. So uh, traditional family holidays. Always the best. Um, TMH says Ben looks bored. I don't know who Ben is, but I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, all right, Chris, you want to go ahead and pull up your screen? We'll, we'll, we'll knock out some uh, charts, some stocks that Good. you're looking at, seeing what's on your radar. We also might have to take, uh, we might have some time to take up some tickers from the chat. I think we will be able to. Okay, so um, first I want to talk about is Apple. Um, Apple has broken above these, and you should be seeing the screen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, Apple broke a good above day right now. What's that? I said Apple's been having a good day. Well, last time I checked, it was up like two point six percent. Yeah, it's uh, looking looking decent. So broke above the prior all time highs last week. You know, we had kind of a liquidation going in stocks across the board, especially tech. Um, tech is kind of in a vulnerable place right now because it's in the kind of most negative gamma environment for options there is. And so for those of you who don't know, you knew this show, negative gamma means that the market is net short options. And that statistically not only means that we have more volatility up and down, but it generally creates an environment where option dealers and market makers are taking liquidity away from the market, which exacerbates the volatility. And they're also trading with the market, meaning that if the market goes up, they're going to start buying that stock or futures. If the market goes down, they're going to sell. So that exacerbates the volatility. And tech really experienced that. But Apple has been holding its own. And when I see you know stocks selling off broadly across the board, and yet there's a few that are holding strength, then that tells me that they have more inherent strength than some of those others that weren't able to hold their ground as the market sold off broadly. 
So I'm bullish on Apple. And what I'm thinking is, is that when I look at the order flow and the options order flows, I see that there's about 4.26 million calls prior to today in Apple. And you have about 3.4 million puts. So call heavy. And this is a stock that normally was much more balanced between calls and puts. Now it's gotten a little more call heavy as it's broken out of the all-time highs. And I think that is going to continue. The other thing I think about is with this whole new COVID Omicron variant, whether it's an issue or not, the bottom line is, is that people are going to be thinking it could be an issue and that helps tech stocks and it will help security stocks and cloud-based stocks. And I think Apple is just in one of those spaces right now that it's in a good shape, even though it doesn't really have you know, its own cybersecurity thing, or it doesn't have cloud-based thing other than Apple Cloud, which is not really a thing. They are in a good position and they're maintaining gains. So I feel like with Apple, I look at positioning. I feel like we're probably going to be in resistance this week. Right now, you know, it. Pr- I don't see Apple really clearing 165 this week, but I also do, don't see it clearing, say, 150 to the downside. So... I'm thinking about selling the cash secure puts on Apple, which would mean I would sell the puts at 150, either for this Friday or next Friday. I just don't see Apple getting down that far. If I do, I see it recovering. And so I will probably sell the cash secure puts. If you don't want to do that and you don't want to hold the margin, then my recommendation is wait till you get a little bit of a pullback in Apple. Wait till closer to 155. And the reason being why I like 155 a little bit better is as we get, you can see there's not a whole lot of order flow other than this prior all-time high. There's not a whole lot of order flow here. Is this, is this, is this, that's it. Where is the liquidity much more? Where is going to be the open interest in a much more solid way here? So I would say wait for dips to 153 you know, down to 150 to get long calls. And then I would hold that for the December OPEX if you want to get long calls. If you just want to sell the premium, then make them to expiry this week. So that's the first one. Bullish on Apple, happy to buy on dips, but don't want to be trading breakouts on Apple right now. Um, Okay, second one, and then we'll get to some open Q&A. I see the chats uh, kind of rolling here. Tesla, Tesla has had its, Tesla has shown a pattern. For months now, you know, particularly during this little rip, this little 50% rip in four weeks, is that traders rush in to buy calls early on Monday and they'll hold those calls till Tuesday, Wednesday, try and capture a little bit of gains and then close out as the theta starts to eat this. There's a lot of short term interest calls that just keep rolling over in Tesla. And I know this because when you look at the total options that are expiring on the Tesla stock, it's very high each week. You know, you're talking 30, 20, 30, 40% of the options are rolling off each week. The only way that happens is, is if people are buying short dated options and then exiting out, and then you keep getting the same thing. We are seeing a little bit of pullback or a little bit of tempering of that long call thing, but I feel like Tesla is in a decent shape. So We have earnings coming up not till January next year. So I feel like let's wait for a little bit of pullback on Tesla. And I would be happy to buy 
calls either if we get them today or tomorrow I'll pull back into say 1082 down to 1060 low 1060s i'd be happy to buy those calls hold them for the end of the week and i would just close the trade out if we have a one hour close below say 1053 so you wouldn't have to hold them for the full loss you wouldn't have to eat for all the theta decay as soon as you get that i would do that and i would close them out for profit if we get to say 1130 1140 on the week so Potential for, you know, 60, 70, $80 of the upside in premium and not much of the downside. And so you can close them out for that. Third one I'm looking at is Microsoft. Microsoft, I think, benefits from the potential tech plays of looking for cybersecurity with their Azure. The um, Jedi contract in the U.S. is getting renegotiated. And it's going to include several different cloud providers with Microsoft being one of them. So I think Microsoft is in a good place. My one concern about Microsoft is this was also a high flying stock, but this candle is kind of nasty. You know, this candle is kind of nasty and it's not necessarily ripping on the open right now. And we're not seeing, you know, a huge volume of shares. We're below the 10 day average. So traders aren't rushing into Microsoft to buy early on the week. And so I look at Microsoft and I say, okay, where would I want to get long Microsoft? So Microsoft has 1.3 million calls out there and about 1.3 million puts prior to today. And 15% of those options out there are not expiring till December OPEX. So I don't feel like there's a lot of short-term trading in Microsoft. So I wouldn't recommend per se day trading it or holding for a few days. I'd recommend waiting for a dip on Microsoft towards and i'm leaning towards this kind of probably 310 area between 305 and 310 when i see we start to get to 305 310 dealers actually start to trade into the market so if the market's selling off they will start buying that because their rate of change on the gamma now puts them in a position where they will start unloading their short positions and will start getting long so I like getting long between 305 and 310. If you wanted to, you could sell the cash secure puts expiring this Friday, or you could just wait for a little bit of a dip in that and get long the calls as we get close to 310. So that's pretty much it. Kind of a calm Monday right now. The markets are really digesting. The big thing, I think the biggest thing we have to pay attention to is VIX. And so VIX had a pretty scary last week. Some of that was low liquidity. The fact that VIX kind of went up and has been selling off aggressively means that the fear trade's not in right now. If it was, if there was fear in the markets, VIX would be rising and that would be a sign that would probably increase put protection in the markets, mean traders are beating long puts. We're not seeing that. We're seeing VIX sell off pretty consistently from 25 to 22. And a lot of that is probably a liquidation of a combination of the long volatility play that people did over the last few sessions and traders who bought puts, who got long puts as we ripped up to here with the markets pulling back, they're going to be closing out those puts and that's going to be creating kind of a fuel and tailwind for the markets. So as long as VIX keeps rolling back, I could see VIX easily closing the gap down to 2076, maybe even down to 1863. If it fills the gap this week, then you should see SPIs back at 470 and you should see SPX back at 4,700, 4,700 plus. If VIX starts to rip again, then you're going to start testing these low levels in SPX and SPY. 
So for option traders, keep your eye on VIX. As long as this keeps selling off, it should provide a bullish tailwind for equities. Got it. Yeah, we'll be watching the VIX. Uh, yeah, we, we, I was talking about that with uh, Jake, our, our previous guest. Um, the VIX move on Friday, I believe, was the biggest one-day gain in VIX maybe ever, but at least in the past, like, or or at least, or no, he said fourth biggest ever. So probably yeah. the biggest since we had that initial uh, COVID. What was that, beginning of March? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if we see... That's what I'm curious about because like, so say I have long calls on Tesla right now and mm -hmm. the VIX continues to drop tomorrow, but the mm -hmm. markets are all good and Tesla's up. Is that going to be good for my calls or bad because the VIX is down, bringing down the implied ball, the implied ball. It'll, it'll, it'll be bullish. Anytime you have VIX coming down, it, it's bullish for, it's generally bullish for equities. It's bullish for markets. You know, VIX goes up when there's fear increasing in the markets. People are less willing to take on risk. And VIX also goes up when put protection starts getting bought. If people start buying put protection, put protection, put protection, mean getting long puts, you'll see VIX spike. And pretty soon, you know, those puts will start to get more and more expensive. Eventually, they'll get to a place of where those puts are too expensive. And then you kind of see it come down. But we have to take into account that this big spike happened during very low liquidity time. You know, this is holiday, you know, going into the holidays and things like that. So you're talking a situation where the liquidity was always was already pretty poor and probably traders are saying, hey, we need to get a little bit more protection in there because there's there's less liquidity in the market. There's less support. There's less tailwind for equities. But with VIX selling off like this, it's generally a tailwind for equities. And, you know, I told my members earlier today, I said, look, as long as SPX holds 4,600 throughout the week, should be bullish on the week, should be solid, should be supported. If it loses these lows here, then we could be in for a much bigger liquidation. Like this last week's selling could exacerbate. We're not seeing that to start the week. We're not seeing put prices go up in value. A lot of those puts that people got long puts last week are getting monetized. So dealers unwind their hedges and it creates a lift for the markets. Got it. Uh, makes sense to me. All right, let's see if we've got anything in the chat that we want to take a look at. We've got about 15 minutes. Uh, so just drop us some tickers in the chat. We will check them out. Probably better if it's kind of a bigger stock that might have some good option flow. Um, sure. Somebody was asking about, Jay Rice was asking Microsoft cybersecurity. So they have the Azure cloud platform technology. And so that was, um, they were one of the winners of the, the Jedi contract, which is being redone and it's including several cloud providers. So they're providing the cloud services for that. It's a huge multi-billion dollar contract. Yeah, that's been, um, that's been one of the biggest bull cases for Microsoft over the past couple of years that Microsoft is, is one of the only companies out there that really has the infrastructure, I guess, to kind of compete with Amazon in the, the cloud space. Um, you know, for whatever reason, some of these other big tech companies, Apple, you know, whoever didn't really do the same investing in the cloud space that, that Microsoft did. Yeah, you know, and they they have the architecture, they have the experience, they have the team to do that. And so, you know, they, I mean, originally Amazon was going to get it, but then they lost it. But then, you know, through changing of the contract, they're going to do multiple people. Bottom line is Microsoft is in there. I don't think that was the only bull case for Microsoft. You know, Microsoft has had a lot of things going for it right now. And so, you know, with that being said, 
you know, I feel like Microsoft is in, it's, you know, it's in a good tech space right now. There are certain tech companies that I think are going to do well and then others that are not. And, you know, with the kind of liquidation that we've seen in the small caps, you know, small caps did not hold the line. Small caps, you know, should have held, should have held between 227 and 233. It didn't hold. You had a break and then you have three weeks of selling. So that tells you that, you know, it tells me a couple things. One, that even though there was a, a load, uh, you know, just a huge amount of open interest and option volume there, it wasn't able to withstand this pullback. That tells me that IWMs and small caps are not as strong as they think. Apple's held the breakout. Many stocks have broken above their all-time highs and then kept going. We haven't seen that in IWMs. And I my suspicion is, as we kind of go into this end of year rally early next year, I think people are going to want to move their holdings to companies that have a solid amount of robustness to them, profitability, good earnings, you know, consistently. And you don't see that consistently in the small caps. So I feel like the market is saying, look, we want things going into next year to have our portfolio exposed to things that we feel like are stalwarts not the high flyers that small caps can be. And so for me, I look at small caps and it's going to need to find liquidity lower here before it really finds support. If it really was a good breakout, it should have held it. Didn't hold it. Tells me it's not as strong as we think it is. So I think Microsoft benefits from that. You know, they're more a legacy company that has shown consistent profitability. Yep. Uh, agreed. All right. I'm seeing a comment in the chat. Someone saying PayPal's breaking out. Um, it, it looks like PayPal, I mean, it's still red on the day, but it opened down about two and a half percent. Now it's down only about a half percent. So it's made up about 2% um, throughout the day. I don't know let's what the, op- I don't know what the options look like on this one, Chris. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. Take a look both at options before today. And then let's also take a look at today's numbers on PayPal. So All right, so I got that. So prior to today, PayPal had about 908,000 calls and 700,000 puts. You had not a lot of short-dated stuff in PayPal. So there's no like short-term expiries that have a lot of options expiring this week or anything like that. It's literally the next expiry with the most amount of options coming off is December 17th. That's the monthly. Um, Today's stats... 154,000 options today. And you're talking a stock that was 1.6 million. So we're almost at that 10% threshold. From my experience, when a stock does 10% of the options of its total options in one day, that's a decent amount of flow. And so that means that option traders are active. And so what do I see with PayPal? I still see resistance ahead, but as we get closer to like 180, then things start to change in terms of that gamma rate of change, so to say. Let's pull up 180 on the weekly. And I mentioned this to my members a while back. Yeah, I said PayPal could go all the way down to 180. So we're pretty much there now. So let's look at this. What do we see? Big candles, candles getting a little bit smaller, smaller last week on a day that a lot of stocks sold off. And then this week, another small candle. 
So this could be that we're starting to get to that place where PayPal is saying, hey, and the people are starting to say, hey, you know, it's kind of overdone at this point. Maybe this is a decent location. So I kind of like this 180 area from a flow standpoint. I think between 180 and 170, I think that's really the last Alamo for PayPal. If it loses that, then PayPal could find its way all the way down to 125. And it's just in a much bigger liquidation. You know, this slowing down of the candles suggests that some of the impulsive selling is reducing a little bit. And it could either mean that there's a decent amount of profit taking happening or it could mean we're coming into the bottom. I feel like I wouldn't want to entertain PayPal until we get to 180. And then I would consider it, I would probably have tight stops on it. So not there yet, but it's showing more resolve here at these levels. Got it. All right, we've got PayPal's take. Um, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Um, yeah, anytime you see a stock that's in this big of a downtrend, you'll see people out there saying like, oh, this is the bottom, you know, whatever, and try to bottom fish that. Not me. I'm like you, Chris. I'd rather just wait till we see that that trend back on the, um, we see that uptrend. Or a transition, at least some transitions in the price action. Because, you know, the bottom line is that you can bottom fish all you want, but very few people have made consistent money bottom fishing or catching falling knives. It's far better to let the order flow show itself in the price action. And if traders really start are, you know, are start coming in to the market, then we don't need to bottom fish. Let the transition show itself in the price action. That will communicate to us. There is some buying. There's some absorption going on. Maybe hedging impacts are coming in and then we can look to get long. But otherwise, no one, you know, one session isn't necessarily is rarely ever a bottom. It's decent. You know, as I look at this on the five minute chart, it's decent, but it's still corrective. There is steady buying because we have more blue candles than red. That's it. That's helpful. But if you think about it, it's been 20 minutes dropping from 190 to 181 or 182. And then it spent the last three hours bouncing half of that. So it's not dead caddish, but, and it's above the VWAP, which is good, but it's not out of the woods yet. I would say this is, you know, showing some transition, but not enough to say this is the bottom. Got it. Um, I see Chip Greenside's asking about CPRI. He said it's a high end <laughs> retail play. Capri Holdings. <laughs> Capri, yeah. I didn't even realize that. I don't know. If Slightly different that. spelling. This was the, yeah, this is like the traditional spelling of the Italian Capri, C-A-P-R-A, like the island. So, all right. So let's take a look at that. Capri Holdings. Um, Just look once, look at Capri. All right. Let's take a look at it. I thought the space has been like high-end retail in general. I thought it's been pretty strong. I mean, if you look at like Dillard's or some of these other like kind of higher, higher name uh, retail stores have just been on a tear since COVID. They have, they have, you know, there's actually a Dillard's like super close to me here. So, um, all right. So here's what I'm saying. CPRA is not a heavy option stock. And I say that because the total options before today is less than a hundred thousand. So you're talking 27,000 calls prior to today and 25,000 puts. That's not much. You know, that tells me it's kind of a, it's a lower option stock. So you always have to be a little bit more cautious anytime you trade a stock with less than 100,000 options because the spreads are going to be a little bit wider and liquidity will be a little bit an issue. 
You know, you're talking over a lot of strikes. You may not get filled. Maybe harder to get out of some of these options. So just a word of caution anytime you trade a stock with below 100,000 options out there. This is, you know, 52,000 options. I'm not seeing a whole lot of buying on the day, 1,500 options, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of volume. It's below the 10-day average. And so what's this lad? He just wants analysis on it. 10% of these options expire in December 17th. So, you know, roughly another 5,000. That's not that many. I really would rather be short than long at this point. Where would I consider a potential long? Uh, I really wouldn't want to be long until we get to probably close to 50. You know, structure-wise, this isn't bad to have one breakout week, but four weeks of selling like this, it is corrective and it is kind of pulling into this zone. If this zone doesn't hold, then it's, you know, it's going back to down this area. That's what I'm seeing. And so because it's low volume stock on the day and low volume and options, like generally that means that we don't have a lot of institutions buying this. You know, it's not a lot of retail rush into it right now. Tells me this is not necessarily time to buy and expect it to be a mover. You know, wait a little bit, see as it probes into here, see if it gets more interest. If volume starts to pick up, then maybe I'll hold the line there. Otherwise, wait for a little bit further pullback. So that's what I'm seeing on that one. Got it. All right, I'm seeing a good one from ETC. He wants a firm, ticker AFRM. I'm sure, sure. a firm's uh, options are pretty liquid. I More robust. Know. More robust. So our firm has had a very interesting Existence kind of series of events. Market. Yeah, it's had, it's had a very interesting run and then a very interesting rollback since then. So firm 70, 80% gain in a period of two, three months. It's insane. Absolutely insane. All right. So firm prior to today, 278,000 options on the call side, 114,000 puts of that about 16% is rolling off for the December OPEX. So there's not a lot of short dated interest that will influence the price right now. Today, though, you know, this is a stock that did roughly 400,000 options prior to today. It's on 52,000 options on the day. That's robust. That's, you know, more than 10%. It's probably like 12.5% on the day. And of that, roughly two and a quarter out of every three options were calls. So there is some buying on it right now. Looking at the volume, I'm not seeing a lot of share interest on this. I look at this and I feel like I would rather wait for a move into 150 or this weekly view up and sell it. I think 150 acts as resistance. I don't see support coming in in a firm until 120s, which is where we had this little spike here. So yeah, like the liquidity gets better and better and the open interest gets better and better in this area. So you're not a buyer of a firm right now. You want to see it get back down to that one twenty one twenty dollar yeah. level. Yeah, I want to see it get down to this area. You know, last week spike lows towards that. That's where a lot more of the open interest is sitting right now, and that's where a lot more of the like the dealers aren't trading. You know, right now as the market goes down, dealers are kind of you know selling to neutral. But as we start to get into this area 
you know, that selling starts to abate and they start kind of trading into the market. So, does, so does, markets does, goes down, they does, start buying her. Does this set up to you? Like, would that trigger you to make a short trade on it? Or would you rather just wait till it gets down to that level, then make a long trade? We get a weak pullback in here. I'd ha be happy to short it. Happy to. I'm leaning more towards short than long right now. Based on the current structure, based on the, the gamma profile, based upon uh, the positioning and open interest. Um, I think whoever, you know, if, if these were a lot of short dated options, I think people are going to, I think people are going to, you know, probably experience some pain on that. So yeah, I'm just not, I'm not seeing it and I'm not seeing, you know, the numbers on the stock side, you're about half of the average 10 day volume. If a stock is being bought up aggressively, that number is usually well into the, you know, same or higher than the 10 day average by now, if it's below means there's not a lot of eyes on it. So that's what I'm looking at right now. And I'm, I'm just not just not seeing the interest. Got it. All right, y'all. Well, Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading. Go check him out. Go check out the website. Should be in the description as well as his Twitter. I'll drop that in the chat. Uh, Chris Capri joins us every Monday at 1.30 to run through the technicals of some charts. Look at the option flow. So we always get some good information out of Chris. Um, you know, Chris, again, hope you had a great holiday and, and have a great rest of your week. You do the same. I'll see you next week. All righty. All right, y'all. Again, that was Chris Capri, Second Skies Trading. Go check him out. Um, I don't know why. I forget why I was looking at Dutch Bros. Oh, that was back when we had Matt Hammond on. We were talking about IPOs. Um, let's just do one last quick check in on the market. Spy up 1.5% right now. QQQ. Oh, wow. QQQ outpacing the SPY by a good amount, two and uh, about three-tenths percent up on QQQ. Uh, Dow, the laggard of the day, out of the major indices, up only nearly a full percent. Um, so, you know, good day out there for tech. Good day out there for the Qs. Go ahead and smash that like if you have not already. We'll get Spencer back tomorrow, so it's not just me on the stream today. Um yeah, I mean, Maddie, shout out Maddie Ice. Maddie Ice, we got to get you back on. We'll talk some more spreads soon. Um, like I said, smash the like, subscribe if you have not already. Coming up right now, we've got Moon or Bus. We're going to be talking about maybe what Jack Dorsey's up to, what he's going to be up to as he's leaving Twitter, maybe something in the crypto space. I've heard, uh, you know, according to Logan, they've got a genius interview coming on too. So if you're looking for a little bit more genius in your life, stay tuned. Um, again, thank you, Antonio smash that like, uh, that'll be a wrap for us. This stream will automatically redirect you to moon or bus. So do not go anywhere. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. 
increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.